four, three, two. Dante Cola Promotion presents the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast, starring El Gran Tommy Martinez and Mr. Adam Tate, executive producer Shay Big Bubba Martinez. And now, here's the greatest podcast, according to them, the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> welcome and welcome to the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast, Season 2, Episode Number 35. That's right. In for my rock and roll brother and the humblest guy that I know on planet Earth, Mr. Adam Tate. My name is Tommy Martinez, and I am on demand, streaming, and ready to give you yet another episode uh, that is worthwhile of the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast, available on your favorite DSPs. Hope you all had a great 4th of July holiday. We did. Hope you all have uh, all your fingers, or at least the ones that you use to look up this podcast. And if you use one of those uh, voice-activated devices, then you should be okay anyway, because you don't need your fingers. (laughs) That's right. You just go for it. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and jump almost right into the podcast real quick, cover what I can that happened this past week as I go, because in a little while, I will then be going to be heading out to a uh, motorcycle benefit toy run. It's uh, for uh, Derby's Operation Holiday, and uh, we're going to jump on there and you know play poker on a motorcycle. If you haven't done that, you get a chance to do that. That is a uh, uh, really uh, nice experience to do that, and it's for a good cause as well. So if you get a chance to... Uh, Start donating uh, anything that you can for these uh, organizations that provide toys and things like that to these organizations come uh, Christmas because Christmas is technically about less than six months away. Go ahead and do so. It's a really uh, good cause, and I think it uh, it's worthwhile. Also, tonight, I think we have to go to a party. I think uh, Tony, uh, our adopted son, our Caucasian son, is having a party. Over at his house uh, for Tori, his uh, girlfriend, and because she is leaving because she got a really cool job at the U.S. Uh, Air Force's Academy uh, as one of the volleyball uh, officials or coaches or something like that. She told me, and I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I forget exactly what it is, but it has to do with that. So it's very uh, exciting time for her, for him. They're all going to be having a little change of venue of of a locale. So I we're going to go out there uh, Will and me we're going to wish him the best. So how about we just get to cracking on the podcast. And this ladies and gentlemen is Mr. Garth Brooks with Give Me Two Pina Coladas. I was feeling the blues. I was watching the news when this fella came on start with something that chill last episode i believe we started with morris day and the time anyway this is a very uh a very cool song i like it it's kicked back even though it's kind of the regular country whiny uh sadness going on but still excellent song you know today is july the 10th 2021 and of course if you heard the song it is national Piña Colada Day. 
Garth Brooks has two. This is just one. But there's really no rules, I believe, on how many you could have. So knock yourself out. July the 10th recognizes a sweet rum-based cocktail on National Piña Colada Day. And by the way, they spelled it wrong. It's with an ñ. That means the end with a squiggly on the top. Not Pina Colada. Jeez, come on. Come on, come on, National Day calendar folks. Let's get the spelling correct. Along with rum, a piña colada includes cream of coconut and pineapple juice. And is usually served and blended or shaken with ice. Do I really need to describe a piña colada? I don't think so. I don't think even me that I am a non-drinker, I'm very familiar with the piña colada. And you're going to find out here pretty soon why. Piña colada means strained pineapple. A reference to a freshly pressed and strained pineapple juice taken right out of the fruit and used in the drink. While pineapple has been a part of the distillation history of rum, coconut itself didn't show up until later. The first written reference to a piña colada was in 1922. However, two different claims to the invention of the piña colada in 1952 come from San Juan, the capital city of the beautiful island where I happen to be from, Puerto Rico. Neither wavers from their story. So you have two people claiming, or two entities, or two individuals, or whatever you want to call it, claim to be the inventors of the piña colada. No matter who created the creamy sweet rum drink, it is forever infused with the ocean and beaches. Mmm. Just like that Garth Brooks song we just heard a little while ago. Give me two piña coladas. Had that uh, islandy feel to the song. Mixed in with the country sound. It makes it kind of sexy. And it's also a song that uses things that connect with human beings. So think about that. That's the kind of shit that people really love and enjoy. Let's uh, see where I was on this. The cocktail's bright flavor suggests sunshine and vacations. It does? Coconut alone makes us think of suntans, while the pineapple's freshness delivers a sparkling note of summer breezes. Coconuts, yeah, they make me think about suntans for sure. <laughs> I likes tanned coconuts. How about you, Guy? <laughs> Guy likes. Of course, you like it, and and, and please uh, don't don't get too carried away. You're not. You're still not up until about the third birthday. Keep in mind, this day is dedicated to all things. Piña colada. Remember that. It's piña colada, not pina colada. Don't, don't, don't ruin my language. Thank you. Whether we make it in a dessert or a snack, everyone can join in on this day. As a matter of fact, Awilda, my wife, she's a piña colada making expert. Mm, they're really good. Even though mine doesn't have any bacaldi or donku rum in it. Bacaldi is usually the rum of choice for the uh, piña colada. When Awilda serves mine, it's usually virgin. Or as they say down in Puerto Rico, etrai. Dámela etrai. Give it to me etrai. There's something for when you go down vacation down there. As a matter of fact, Awilda and me celebrated our 30th anniversary in El Caribe Hilton in San Juan. And here I go with my story. Thank you. We were down there, and it's in El Condado in, in San Juan, really, really close to uh, old San Juan in between, you know, not too far away from the airport. You know, just giving you some ideas. We were celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary down there. We had a fantastic time. 
And the Caribe Hilton actually is one of the places where they they stake claim that they're the ones that uh, helped out or provided the place or had the bartender that created the piña colada back in the 1950s. So there's a little history tidbit as Tommy of the Tommy Out of Heart to Name Podcast interjects himself with some of the stories because you know the deal. It's always going to be a little bit about me. Eh, not a little bit, maybe a lot. So how to observe National Piña Colada Day? You do not have to be sitting on a beach or a deck of a cruise ship to celebrate this holiday. Well, you could try a frozen popsicle treat or a piña colada cake. And that frozen popsicle, I would hope, would be piña colada flavor. You can enjoy a nice, tall, cool piña colada wherever you are. And remember to drink responsibly and never drink and drive. Also, don't forget to use hashtag National Piña Colada Day. And share it on social media. Hopefully you won't be judged by those uh, those trollers that like talking shit about you. Say, oh, look at that drunk. Drinking pina coladas now. No, really. Put on your sunglasses, kick back, and enjoy a sip or taste. It's the best way to celebrate National Pina Colada Day. Today's also National Kittens Day. Yeah. Now, what's a fine-looking kitty cat such as yourself don't hear <laughs> or alone? <laughs> I don't think that's the kind of kittens that uh, that the National Day is uh, referring to. But on this podcast, we do like kittens for sure. Uh, they're featured on the third birthday. That's coming up a little bit later on the podcast for sure. She was wow. to come out of Today in History, brought to you by History.com and on thisday.com. Wow, it's a little ditty from the 1950s. This is Brian Highland and the itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini. Wow. We started with Garth Brooks and then this. I don't know. Hopefully, you guys are still listening. But this is pretty interesting. On July the 9th, 1956. After a uh, June 30th concert, which there was some trouble at Asbury Park in New Jersey, Bill Haley and his Comets were denied permission to play the Roosevelt Stadium in Jersey City. Mm, wow. Bill Haley, you don't hear a lot of uh, a ruckus coming out of that group. A city ordinance was passed uh, as a result of that that read, Rock and roll music encouraged juvenile delinquency and inspired young females in lewd bathing suits to perform obscene dances ooh, on the city's beaches. <laughs> when is this? 1956? Wow. <laughs> really? Again, censorship. And this is what happens because today in history, in 1946, on July the 5th, French designer Louis Riard unveiled a daring two-piece swimsuit at the Piscine Molitour, a popular swimming pool in Paris. Now, being that it was Paris, Parisian showgirl Micheline Bernardini modeled the new fashion, which Riard dubbed the bikini. <laughs> you see that? Kitty cat, rock and roll, bikinis, quite possibly some uh, drinks, maybe a pina colada. It's all coming together on this podcast. <laughs> Maybe I should quit while I'm ahead. Riard named his new uh, 
fashion inspiration after he had heard earlier that week that the U.S. had had an atomic test out there in the Pacific on an island called Bikini Atoll. And those are two separate words, Bikini Atoll. So he, so he heard it on the news and he said, hmm, Bikini, that sounds like a good name for this. It was a two-piece. He saw a Bikini. Bikini starts with B-I. So he put one and two together, sort of speaking, voila, the Bikini. And of course, I so happened to have some of that recorded footage that day. How about we uh, take a listen? Okay. Ballroom. Little catwalk. People they're uh, speaking about. Oh, here comes uh, what looks like a Mr. Louis uh, Riard. He's kind of dressed uh, typically what somebody would think was dressed back in the 1940s. Okay, he's about to take the mic. Let's listen, let's listen. Excuse me, please. Excuse me. Uh-huh. I would like to present to you the bikini. So great, I have invented the bikini. Merci, merci, merci beaucoup. <laughs> I think that uh, that angelic chorus of uh, hallelujah is always great. <laughs> when uh, these things are revealed, it's like a, like a big blessing. It's the bikini gods are smiling upon <laughs> the world of fashion. Anyway, there's a bunch of other crap here about this that day. Something about uh, uh, before long, young uh, women in bikinis were causing sensation. Of course, it's the 1940s. Uh, <laughs> Spain and Italy passed measures prohibiting bikinis on public beaches, but later capitulated uh, to the changing times when the swimsuit grew into the mainstay of European beaches back in the 1950s. Riyard's business soared. Of course it would. And in his advertisement, he kept the bikini mystique alive by declaring that a two-piece wasn't a genuine bikini unless it could be pulled through a wedding ring. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Wow. Those are strings. <laughs> okay, uh, here we go. This is probably the letdown of the story. In prudish America, the bikini was successfully resisted until the early 1960s when the new emphasis on youthful liberation brought the swimsuit into a mass... Uh, in U.S. beaches. Uh, it was immortalized by the pop singer Brian Hyland with that uh, intro music we just heard a little while ago. And by other stuff like uh, Annette Funicello and uh, I guess I spelled, I, I pronounced that right, Frankie Avalon. Uh, California surfing culture also celebrated the bikini, such uh, groups such as the Beach Boys, etc., uh, etc. Et <laughs> Woo, the bikini. That one garment that you go on the beach and go, oh, okay. That's what uh, that looks like underneath all that clothes. Because <laughs> it's truly, the bikini is almost like today's lingerie. I don't know. <laughs> you could go like into Victoria's Secrets, you know. I have been many times in Victoria's Secrets. I buy my lotions from there, just FYI. I think I've said that before. And you could say, wait a minute, <laughs> what's, the, there, what's the difference here between the, the bikini 
and uh, the Lingri. I wouldn't know, but thank you, Mr. Louis Riard, for your wonderful invention. And this is Judas Priest off of their album Firepower and their song Lightning Strikes. their newer records oh, I was nice and calm we you know with that angelic chorus of hallelujah <laughs> and all of a sudden Judas Priest pops in and gets me all worked up again 1934 today in sports history brought to you by history.com and on this day.com slash sports July the 10th 1934 National League pitcher Carl Hubble Struck out Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox, Al Simmons, and Joe Cronin for an MLB All-Star Game record consecutive strikeouts. The American League team still won uh, 9-7. to The uh, significance of this 1934 All-Star Game uh, was remembered n- not only uh, for this record of the five consecutive strikeouts, but it's also he actually struck out five players in a row who are now Hall of Famers. So you, that's uh, that's where you have to put it kind of in perspective. You know, you don't know it at the time, but you're like, wow, that's uh, pretty major. And uh, also, this was the second uh, All-Star game. The inaugural uh, All-Star game had been celebrated the year before. Um, this year's All-Star game should be coming up in a couple of weeks. So. Today, it's today, it's today, it's today. This is some Siggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars with Starman. Didn't know what time it was and the lights were low. I leaned back. This day in rock history brought to you by history.com. Today in music.com and songfacts.com slash history. Yes. Mr. David Bowie as Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Wow. Very, very groovy. Anyway, back in 1972, July the 6th, 1972. David performed Starman on uh, the British show Top of the Pops, causing an uproar among the conservative British audience by hanging his arm coquettishly draped around the shoulder of guitarist Mick Ronson. The move makes him a household name overnight. You know, I've seen the footage. As a matter of fact, that was off of the, uh, the Top of the Pops recording. I got it off of YouTube. You can check it out for yourself. But I saw that. I mean, it was like a whole five seconds, maybe a little bit of the chorus. If that was it, you know, it's like, wow, 1972. Wow, it's a kind of a, why would people be in shock? I mean, it's rock and roll, you know. Davey had appeared on the popular show uh, before doing Space Oddity in 1969. 
and playing piano on Peter Noon's performance of uh, Bowie's song wrote, All You Pretty Things, in 1971. But this time, it was different. Bowie had spent lots of time curating his Siggy Stardust character. And if you remember the last episode, we actually spoke a little bit about Siggy Stardust and the uh, Spiders from Mars last performance. Uh, so you can go ahead and check that out. You can go ahead and, and uh, go back to that episode and you know get you a little feel for what was going on with this. But this, uh, wow, this is kind of uh, it's what made him it, that that just putting his uh, arms around him and kind of flirting. And I, and I wouldn't even call it that. Maybe at the time that's what it was called, flirting or coquetting. Mm. I would, today would be considered like a cool interaction between. Uh, Let's say performers. Usually, it's the singer drapes his arm around one of the other, uh, either the guitarist or the bassist, whatever. Anyway, Boy had spent a lot of time curating his Siggy Stardust character, who made quite a fashion statement with the array of his colorful patterns set against Bowie's pale complexion. So again, if you've seen anything, like let's say you've seen the movie Siggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, that could give you a little bit of a little bit more of a perspective of what's going on here. Uh, so to me, this says this was well calculated on behalf of Bowie. Uh, by the time Ziggy is ready to go and the album uh, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders for Mars uh, was released, his uh, Top of the Pop performance was foremost the first look at the character of Ziggy Stardust. And it left quite an impression, absolutely. When uh, Bowie sang on this performance, uh, this particular line that says, I had to phone someone, so I picked on you. He looked right at the camera and pointed. And, you know, that's a classic rock star move. And it was, you know, it was that impressive. So, copied by many. Didn't think that's where that came from, but there it is right there. That's that move. So anytime you do that, especially while you're, you're posting on social media, remember, it was Ziggy Stardust. And this is the Rolling Stones, baby. Give me shelter. You listen to that that scraping sound. That's a guido mm, in rock and roll. Yeah, groovy. That's two groovy songs. From the 70s. Yeah, 1974. July the 5th, 1974. Rolling Stone Keith Richards was arrested by the Highway Patrol in Arkansas on charges of reckless driving and possessing an offensive weapon, a seven-inch hunting knife. (laughs) Now you say, okay, Keith Richards getting arrested again. Out of uh, the rock stars. So one of these days, we're going to have to research. Uh, I'm going to have to remind Adam when he gets back. We're going to have to research who's been arrested the most. Because every time that I look at these uh, history bits on the internet, I see a lot of arrests. And Keith Richards is one that pops up quite a bit. Now, this is what I thought was uh, extremely, to me, was extremely interesting. Is that there was no drugs involved on this one. <laughs> there, here's Keith Richards. He's getting arrested. Oh, by the way, he's getting arrested in Arkansas. I'd be scared. In my head, probably the dueling banjo song would come on. But uh, 
he doesn't have any drugs on him. Or if they did, they may be overlooked. And the other thing, it's a knife. It's like, this is Arkansas. Everybody's armed there. I mean, a knife is nothing. <laughs> What's wrong with these people? They probably didn't like Keith Richards. The police sheriff or <laughs> the police chief said, you don't rust to Keith Richards and you didn't find any drugs? Get back there, boy, and find them drugs. That's there, one of them uh, rock and roll hippies. That boy got drugs all over the place. Go get them right now. Hey, quick greetings <laughs> to all and a tribute to all my friends from Arkansas. You know, just I'm just joking. Come on now. Plus, it's not my fault. <laughs> the uh, They went around, screwed around with Keith Richards. <laughs> they probably thought, oh, wow, this is, this is definitely... Uh, a sure thing <laughs> to bust Keith Richards for drugs and end up he has a knife. <laughs> That's a screw up. Oh, and these are the Ramones. I don't want to grow up. Ramones, one of the uh, most cited inspiration for punk rock. Anyway, back in 1976, July the 4th, 1976, as a matter of fact, a uh, defining moment for punk rock in Britain was uh, experienced when the Ramones played the Roundhouse in Camden. Okay, so it's punk rock. It was a defining moment. Let's see. Let me pull out my calculator real quick. Okay, 2021 minus 1976. Oh, 45 years ago. Cool. Uh, it was a very high-energy show, and uh, people who attended it uh, really uh, were into it. Even though punk rock isn't, uh, what do you call it, isn't the uh, genre of choice of many rock and roll fans, but still, it is the, uh, the genre that is ven venerated by many. And I think punk rock has its place. It's it's pretty obvious. And uh, soon after the show, local acts like uh, the Sex Pistols and the Clash soon gain some kind of notoriety. And, you know, if you've been uh, paying attention to rock and roll history all these years, you're probably going to know why. More the Sex Pistols than the Clash, if you ask me. Uh, because uh, <laughs> on that same night as well, the Clash made their uh, live debut supporting the Sex Pistols. At the uh, Black Swan in Sheffield, England. So, <laughs> so a lot was going on in the punk universe. Settle down, class. It's this week's rockin' higher education lesson on Led Zeppelin 101 with Professor Adam Lee Tate. Led Zeppelin live in Munich, baby. Whole lot of love. Mm. This is, uh, 
very simple but extremely loved song by the Zeps. Whole lot of love. Uh, in 1980, if you guys remembered uh, from uh, last episode, a uh, couple of days before John Bonham had collapsed uh, on stage, and this was because of alcohol. And remember, uh, I, I remember saying something like uh, he had eaten a lot of bananas, according to uh, to Mr. Robert Plant. But anyway, at a concert in Munich, Simon Kirk of Bad Company joined Led Zeppelin to provide a two-minute drum assault on the song Whole Lot of Love. I could have played that, but I didn't go that far. Kirk is the last guest musician to perform with the band as the tour ended two days later and John Bonham died in September of that same year. You all know what he died of. We're not going to revisit that, at least not today. We've already revisited that many times on this podcast. But uh, also a quick note, John Bonham was actually there. He was playing. Simon Kirk was more as a guest musician, if anything. I guess I'm going to bet he was there as a backup. But Robert Plant had been cited saying something like, uh, I know you guys have been reading in the paper a lot of stuff about us, but no, it's not true. John is right here. So John's been playing the drums, and then they brought out Simon Kirk, and then they did everything else they needed to do for this uh, performance of A Whole Lot of Love. This show uh, was the last show of this tour, and it was also the last show, uh, this 7 July show, that drummer John Bonham played with the Zeps. But okay, let's go to a little bit of a uh, better, uh, at least lighter, golden nugget in uh, the fella's uh, history. On July the 6th, 2009, Robert Plant was officially made a commander of the British Empire after being bestowed with the title by Prince Charles at Buckingham Palace. I'm thinking, uh, I've noticed that in the past few episodes, we've uh, mentioned a few of these uh, titles bestowed upon rock musicians. What's the deal with these royals? They like, uh, they like handing those things out. Anyway, that was today in Zeppelin 101. Settle down, class. It's this week's rockin' higher education lesson on Led Zeppelin 101 with Professor Adam Lee Tate. And yes, that will be on the test. Even if I'm the substitute, I still have to be as hardcore as the professor. I hesitated for a minute. I, 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 I couldn't do the lead into this. It's the uh, hip hop moment of the uh, podcast, absolutely. And uh, that was uh, Crush Groovin' off of the uh, movie Crush Groove. Uh, Crush Groove was a movie back from 1985, uh, and it starred uh, Run DMC, the Fat Boys, the ones they were the first ones to rap on that uh, particular cut there. Uh, Curtis Blow, the Beastie Boys were on there, LL Cool J, 
uh, Russell Simmons, all that old school uh, hip hop crowd. Uh, Rick Rubin was, uh, you know, famous producer, produced for rock acts as well. Yeah, but Crush Groovin, and this was the Crush Groovin All Stars. At this rate, I may have to do an intro, like for the hip hop uh, moment of the show. I don't know. I'm just thinking here out loud. Anyway, back in 1981, July the 9th, 1981, the ABC News show 2020 ran a story called Rappin' to the Beat, becoming the first national TV magazine to cover rap music. Hugh Downs says in his introduction, it's all beat and talk. Uh, and the coverage suggested that rap may be more than just a passing fad, and they were correct. I think that's a positive uh, note, especially when people are saying, oh, this is just going to go away. They didn't go away. Actually, expanded and, and uh, blew ups or blew ups. I got to get my rap jargon down. Maybe that way I could do my intros as, you know, a uh, rap DJ. I don't think so, but I thought I'd throw that out there. And all kidding aside, uh, this is actually a positive history uh, story about hip hop. It's it, it wasn't about shootings or, you know, rape at the hotel or arrest or imprisonments of any kind. This is uh, something that's kind of like uh, the recognizing the origins, the beginnings of a genre that actually took off and took off at high speed. As it went mainstream here in the United States of America and then worldwide, just like their forefathers, jazz and that early rock and rolls from the 50s and 60s that were copied off of, and then R&B, and then all these other uh, wonderful mixes of funk and the rest of quote-unquote black music. So there you go. And that's a little bit of how that all came about. And what's coming about right here is the police. Every breath you take. One of those songs that just uh, wants you to kick back and just chill and listen to it. Let the groove take you away. Mm. Yeah, 1983, the police were riding high in 1983. July the 9th, actually, in 1983, the police started an eight-week run at the number one spot. On the U.S. singles charts with every breath you take. Nice. Uh, taken from the band's album, Synchronicity. Awesome record, by the way. You got to get it if you don't have that record. Uh, Sting won Song of the Year, and The Police won Best Pop Performance for that song in the 1984 Grammy Awards. And again, The Police were just uh, huge. They were a gigantic act. They were everywhere. I won a record once uh, on the radio station, my favorite radio station, Radio Heavy. And it was, um, excuse me, it was a police record. I think I had told that story anyway. But I haven't said this one. I always associate the police with getting a haircut when uh, I first joined the Army. And I think what was playing was King of Pain. And I just remember sitting there in terror watching as everybody's hair was being buzzed off. And we were all sitting, like the chairs were lined up against the walls, so a shitload of chairs, like, you know, 30 chairs, whatever, because it was like everything else when you're in training, it's a big, gigantic line. 
and you know they put one dude on there and zzz, and then the other guy and zzz. it's a moment in time that I just won't forget. Yeah, turn that off. <laughs> it was so I don't know. It's so weird. Yeah, I could still see Sting running around those candles and you know just waiting for that moment that my beautiful hair is gonna be gone forever. <laughs> Yeah, and the barbers, they seem sadists. You know, they cut a little bit here. Then they come and they go to a different side of the head and, you know, buzz off a little bit over there. And then all of a sudden, bam, 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 they'd go from the back to the front. And just like in seconds, all that hair would be gone. The drill sergeants were there, so they were watching us. They were purposely trying to make us laugh. But, you know, they were yelling, don't you dare laugh, don't you dare laugh. It was anyway. <laughs> Shit. That's that's a heavy duty flashback. That that'll affect for sure my PTSD tonight. I'll be having nightmares of getting my hair cut again. You'll hear people talk about uh you know all these bullshit army stories. <laughs> my bullshit army stories have nothing to do with the regular ones, I guess. But woof man, I miss my I miss that gigantic bunch of hair that I had back then. I think it's always cool how a song, in this case, you know, the police. I uh, could flash you back in time. Music is so indispensable in our life. And this is Madonna's Beautiful Stranger. We don't cover a lot of Madonna here on the uh, Tommy Adam Hard to Name podcast, available on Spotify, Apple Podcast app, RSS Podcast, Castbox, Himalaya, and your favorite DSPs. You know, <laughs> a little self promotion never hurts. But Madonna back in 1985, July the 10th, 1985, uh, Playboy magazine published nude photos of Madonna taken. Before she was famous, I remember this. This was crazy. This was all over the news. If you're a child of in the 80s, there was just no way you could miss Madonna. She was uh, the bee's knees uh, during that time. And she kept her popularity going for quite a bit. And she still is, I would say, uh, pretty popular. Has a gigantic fan base probably still. Not a... Not seen a lot lately on the media for, you know, whatever reasons. But anything that Madonna would do, it was all over the news. And uh, in this case, this was just something that was completely blown to immeasurable proportions. You could imagine 19, the 1980s, they were pretty liberal. But, you know, being able to see a pop star of that proportions naked in Playboy and she was younger, woof. Please sign me up. You had everybody looking at this. You probably had your grandma taking a peek at this one. She was probably driving out to one of those uh, remote gas stations out there on the freeway somewhere to pick up a copy of that Playboy. But yeah, how about we get back on track? One, two, three, four. This weekend. Oh, yeah. Kiss. This is Kiss off of their Kiss Alive number two. And this is King of the Nighttime World. It's so sad to be 
the king of the nighttime world in this case would have been Mr. Paul Stanley, who in 1990, on July 4th, 1990, uh, sustained neck and back injuries when he was involved in a pretty serious crash in New Jersey. Car crash, actually. And uh, he went from king of the nighttime world to probably king of the hospital. In Paul's book, Face to Music, uh, 1990, if I remember correctly, there was something about him uh, being in this car crash and no one from the band ever checking up on him. And it was kind of weird because I guess, you know, as you read the book, you get, you know, that feeling of, you know, it's an autobiography. You know, is it true? Is it not true? Did he remember it correctly? At least that's me when I read, especially when it comes to rock books. And it was like, wow, you know, that's that's a possibility. But also there was something somewhere that I also had read. Maybe it was in the book. I mean, my mind, my memory's a piece of crap. But uh, about him saying that he wasn't surprised about nobody checking up on him. You know, he had lived an incredible life anyway. So, you know, what's the big deal? For the KISS fandom, for the KISS world, only probably, I think, a couple of shows were canceled during that time until he recovered. And that was pretty much it about that story. Going back to this week in KISS history, I don't have a lot going on. Or I don't have some big piece or a big chunk of news like uh, in last episode when they released uh, the Marvel comic uh, that had them and they had used their blood, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's, it, for the past couple of weeks with the, the release of uh, their biography episode on A&E, it has just been kiss everywhere. We, we do have a, a little kiss overload if anything here, just just because of that. So and plus the touring is going to be starting and everything else that goes along with that in the KISS world. Now you must be asking yourself, what the hell is that? That is an ice cream truck. And everyone knows what that brings. It brings some ice cream. Oh, 1999. July the 7th, 1999. It was reported that to attract young people to their mobile vans in the UK, ice cream vendors would start to play pop hit music themes instead of the traditional bells and chimes that are so associated with uh, shit with ice cream trucks. The great majority of the people I know have some kind of memories of the ice cream truck. As a matter of fact, I, I still get a little excited even now. As an adult, I still remember all the happiness and everything revolving around the ice cream truck. You know, kids hauling ass, you know, mom, mom, give me whatever it was, 50 cents, 75 cents. I don't even know how much one of those ice creams would cost nowadays. Hell, I better get with the program. I have my two granddaughters. They live across the street from me. But evidently, uh, in Great Britain, that wasn't good enough. The bells and the chimes, they wanted to attract the kids to these uh, trucks playing shit like this. Yo, it must have confused the hell out of them. They're like, hold up a minute now. Is that the uh, the neighbor's crazy kid just rolled up to his house with a stereo blasting the Spice Girls? Or is it, you know, somebody who's going to deliver me some chocolatey goodness? Now, I could see where some of the Oasis music might be acceptable. You know, to bring you a, you know, a push-up pop or a King Cone. 
Oh, sorry about that. That's my damn phone. Who the hell's calling me this early? Forget it. I hit decline. Yeah, I was at, where was I? Yeah, Oreo cream sandwich, a crunch bar, you know. Any of those scrumptious treats. Absolutely. But with the Spice Girls, listen, the Spice Girls music might be appropriate for some other stuff. But for ice cream trucks, I don't think so. Mm-mm, not for a minute. I'll tell you, I could think of some, or at least some better songs to uh, play in the ice cream truck. Here, let's try this one. The Grim Reaper see you in hell. I'd be running like crazy to this one. Who's to say? Please, Grim Reaper, give me a firecracker. Give me a snow cone. Ooh, yeah. Give me a Slurpee. <laughs> Give me a soft serve chocolate ice cream. And who knows? They may have taken that money from their mom without permission. They're thinking like, oh, I better go and confess or I'll go to hell. <laughs> I'm just saying. There could be some better songs. Not a bad idea when it comes to some other songs, but not the Spice Girls. Come on, give me a break. I've heard people say that too much of anything is not good for you, baby. You know who this is. But I don't know about that. That's Mr. Barry White. As many times as we've loved and we've shared love and made love. Maybe not the right one for an ice cream truck either. It doesn't seem to me like it's enough. Even though it makes me think about chocolatey goodness. Them chocolate sister ice creams. Yeah. Take it away, Barry. Mm. Yeah. This song is too sexy, but not too sexy for this podcast. Yeah, sing it to me. 2003, July the 4th, 2003, not the uh, happiest bit of history, but American record producer, singer-songwriter, and five-time Grammy Award winner, Mr. Barry White, died from kidney failure. He was age uh, 58. Not only did he produce for himself, he also produced hits for the girl group called Love Unlimited, and some others as well. (laughs) Did I just say chocolatey goodness and chocolate sister ice creams? I think I said that. <laughs> it's Mr. Barry White. It's, it's his music. It does it to you. It makes you want to think about those things. Anyway, yeah, where was I? I'm losing my place again. Bubblegum Act, the Banana Splits, recorded his songs, and he arranged the 1963 hit Harlem Shuffle for the duo Bob and Earl, which was also la- later covered by who? Yes, the Rolling Stones. So there you go. Musical universes colliding. Mr. Barry White, rest in peace, with the Rolling Stones, which still are not resting in peace. You're welcome. And this is the darkness, I believe, in a thing called... Even love. It's a wonderful thing. On July the 7th, 2003, the 
Darkness, this group right here you listen to, released their debut studio album, Permission to Land. You know, I love this song. As a matter of fact, this is one of my songs. I've actually tortured people with this song at uh, karaoke outings. Anyway, this uh, album topped the UK chart for four weeks. Five singles were released from the album, including I Believe in a Thing Called Love. Uh, the most successful, obviously, reaching number two in the UK singles chart. The band won three Brit Awards and a bunch of other accolades out there uh, in Europe and Britain. It's a damn shame. This is a really good group. I mean, it was they were kind of, they came out to a 2003, yeah, they were considered a little bit campy back then because they were reviving or they were giving that feel for that early 1980s hair metal glam kind of look. You know, and not only were they going for the look, they were also going for the lifestyle. These would have been like a real-life uh, Steel Panther, uh, sort of speak. And unfortunately, like the lead singer was running into uh, some uh, substance abuse issues, somebody else in the band. I really don't know all that much uh, about The Darkness. I thought they were a great group. I loved it. I was also reading, I don't know which, which rock magazine, which rock online magazine I was reading, but I believe that they coronavirus they had something coming up prior to that but they also were able to do some live live streaming like a lot of the other musicians did so they're still you know bouncing around doing what they need to be doing you know hopefully we'll be able to see them at the uh, uh adam and me we'll be able to see them at one of these uh, smaller clubs if they do release uh, some record this year so yeah the darkness and this is some heart live crazy on you I love this song too. It's one of my songs. Saw Heart uh, for the first time. I want to say 1984? 1983? 1984 was a festival uh, in Virginia. Uh, Cheap Trick was also on that festival. It was really cool. I mean, they weren't like big, big, big time names, but was a very uh, relaxed environment. We were out there uh, screwing around as always, uh, blown away. Uh, Anne and Nancy Wilson, great stage presence. And this uh, particular uh, live cut uh, featured Dave Navarro. So you remember him? He had a birthday a couple of uh, episodes ago. Yeah, Heart in uh, 2019, July 9th, actually 2019, after years of animosity. That kept Anne and Nancy Wilson apart. Heart regrouped with their Love Alive tour, which kicked off with a show in St. Louis. Mm. Supporting acts were all women, of course. Joan Jett, Cheryl Crow, which was a Missourian. Brandy Carlisle and L. King were all part of the supporting, uh, supporting lineup to these uh, wonderful American rock musicians. Adam, I believe, saw Heart. Not too long ago, I believe, down there in the uh, Kansas Star. So they've, uh, they've graced our uh, wonderful area here in Kansas. Uh, the Heart of Heart, which is uh, Ann and Nancy Wilson are true rock and roll ambassadors. It's that time to kick back in the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast time machine. Open your mind and listen to the significant album 
Who knows? You may even be delightfully wounded by one of Mr. Adam Tate's deep cuts. Listen up. It's about to get real heavy. No, your ears are not deceiving you. It is Dio and stand up and Stand up and shout. One of Ronnie James Dio. Dio. The band's greatest songs. And you're going to wonder, why is Tommy playing Dio? Well, today, even though it's not a rock and roll birthdays, would have been the birthday of uh, Ronnie James Dio. He was born July the 10th, 1942. Uh, Died May 16th. Uh, 2010 of, uh, I believe, stomach cancer. And uh, today, uh, in uh, recognition of his birthday, we're going to go ahead and put a significant album, but only uh, we're going to just focus on the very best of Dio, which is, uh, if you don't have it, and you're one of those people that don't like uh, just buying one album and you enjoy buying, you know, quote-unquote the hits, this would be the album to have of Ronnie James Dio. It covers a whole a plethora of songs uh, during uh, his time here on planet Earth as he was doing some excellent work with uh, various groups uh, such as uh, Elf, uh, Rainbow, Black Sabbath, Dio, and even a very cool group that he formed with Tony Ione, uh, uh, Heaven and Hell. And, uh, woo, I'm going to have to calm myself down or else I'm going to have the same disaster as I had last week when uh, on Significant Album we had Love Gun. But yes, Ronnie James Dio. What can you say about a guy that almost everything has been said about him? Uh, it, when, when you, uh, as a metal fan, as a fan of rock and roll, as a fan of music in general, Ronnie James Dio epitomizes what uh, maybe you as a singer, musician, a fan, want to represent. Here's a guy who had lived an incredible life as a performer since his younger years uh, and just did a bunch of great things. And not only on the professional level when it comes to uh, music, he also did some really cool things in, in uh, his personal life. Uh, he had some foundations for the children. And I believe I had already for Runaways and abused and neglected children. I believe I had covered that already in uh, one of our previous podcasts. But yeah, wow, man. Woo, Dio's music career began when he was 1957. I'm going to try to blow uh, through a few of these. Let me see what's the next one coming up here. Oh, of course, you know which one this is. Wow. Just I'm going to let it play a little bit while I talk over this real quick. And the, and the whole purpose of Significant Album is so you could go out there download it buy it whatever if you have it accumulating dust like uh this awesome song by dio go ahead and take the dust off and put it back on 
your record player or put it on your CD or if you have it if you have it digitized uh, play it on your mp3 player of choice but this is the kind of music that's gonna take you today through a uh, period of different aspects of your life if you're an older guy like me it's gonna bring back some great memories as you dive into what we know as Dio and his song right here Holy Diver music career began in 1957 as part of the Vegas Kings, uh, later Ronnie and the Rumblers. In 1967, he formed the rock band Elf, which became a regular opening act for Deep Purple. Back in 1975, Deep Purple's guitarist extraordinaire, Richie Blackmore, founded the band Rainbow and hired Dio to be his lead singer. During this tenure in the band, uh, Rainbow released three studio albums and Dio quickly merged as one of heavy's, uh, heavy metal's rock world preeminent vocalist. Wow. So, so you see how that all works. You start from nothing. You start building all the uh, moons and the stars and the galaxies of the heavy metal world start to align and uh, out from this uh, combination of mysticalness comes out Ronnie James Dio he comes out like a rainbow in the dark. <laughs> what a great song that is, too. That, you know, rainbow in the dark, it hits you really fast. You're going like, wow, that's an oxymoron. How do you see a rainbow in the dark? But that's what he was. And he's telling you, you are, too. So, wow. In 1979, Dio replaced Ozzy Osbourne as Black Sabbath. Not an easy feat to accomplish, by the way. And appeared on three of Sabbath's... Uh, studio albums, uh, Heaven and Hell, Mob Rules, and Dehumanizer. I have uh, Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules around here somewhere. I don't have uh, Dehumanizer. Uh, in 1982, he left the, form, the band to form Dio. And then you start seeing all the, the music that Dio has inside of him ready to put out there in a great time by the way because this is when metal was coming out the the fancy hair metal was not was not Dio's thing his was music orchestration uh, songs built with integrity and a lot of uh, versatility going on great musicians he had when he had the pieces he had Vinnie Campbell with him. Oh, wow. Yes. 
is definitely uh, music that uh, was straight through the heart. And he's also would tell, uh, he would tell his fans uh, what this song is about, is We Rock. You know, not just Dio and his band, but also we as the fans rock with him. Yes. Dio itself had two albums. They were certified platinum. Uh, in 2006, he founded the band uh, Heaven and Hell with Tony Iommi, as I said. In 2009, Dio was diagnosed, unfortunately, with, died with uh, stomach cancer and died uh, of the affliction the following year. So I think it was six months later after he was uh, diagnosed uh, with that cancer. Last in line, Dio. Another very powerful song. Kinds of makes you a little sad, but at the same time, it makes you glad that we are blessed with having Dio here on planet Earth, man. You're a teenager, maybe in your early 20s. You're trying to find your way around life. Told you I'd be flashing back in time. And Dio's telling you, hey, you're going to be the last in line. But it's going to be cool. Eventually, because metal is coming! Yes. Home. <laughs> I better stop this corniness with these damn songs. Uh, you can tell, you know, I can tell that I'm such a fan of this kind of stuff. I want to talk about this bullshit. Oh, yeah. We could keep going on and on here tonight. I mean, this morning. What am I talking about tonight? Shit. Saturday morning, windy as hell. Wait a minute, is the sun out? Yeah, it is. But this whole, uh, Going back to this actual album, it's going to give you a whole spectrum of Dio and his career. And there's even some live music. This one right here, The King of Rock and Roll. Uh, awesome song, you know. Uh, Dio is regarded as one of the greatest and most influential heavy metal artists of all time. He is known for popularizing the metal horns. I believe we spoke about that also uh, not too long ago uh, when Gene Simmons was trying to... Uh, to uh, Patton, you know, Dio is throwing up the horns. According to a version uh, provided by the singer self, it's something has to do with some kind of Italian folklore. Anyway, uh, Dio had a powerful, versatile vocal range, as, as you know, we've already heard many, many years, for many years, and was capable of singing both rock and uh, lighter ballads. Just like Last in Line, you could tell that difference in, when you hear that song. He was awarded the Metal Guru Award by Classic Rock Magazine in 2006. Uh, uh, He's also named Best Metal Singer. I mean, uh, Dio's awards were, were just innumerable. And, and, you know, Dio, yeah, sure, he sang the classic heavy metal stuff with the, uh, with the medieval lyrics and, you know, some, some uh, satanic... Uh, references and whatnot, but it wasn't just for, if you ever get a chance, Sam Dunn, uh, 
I believe Sam Dunn uh, is a Canadian filmmaker. He's had some great uh, documentaries out there. I think one of them is like a, uh, something about the heavy metal voyage or something. I think that was his first one. I can't remember exactly what it was called. But I know I was watching an interview uh, done by Sam Dunn, uh, Sam Dunn with Dio on religion. Just to let you know where he stood on religion. And it was very interesting. It was just because... Uh, no, I'm not even going to try to paraphrase what. But if you get a chance, check it out. Uh, he will tell you, you know, his point of view directly coming out of Dio, which is better. Again, YouTube it. Uh, Sam Dunn, uh, Ronnie James Dio interview, and something like that should pop up. But here, you know, here, here's an example. You know, Hungry for Heaven is the title of this song right here. But he adds on there with, but you need a little hell. So you need some kind of a balance. So uh, Dio was named uh, the best uh, metal singer by Revolver magazine as well. Uh, wow. I, I don't know what, what, what. This is, there's too much. Like I said at the beginning, there's too much to talk about Ronnie James Dio. Check this song out right here. Rock and Roll Children. He includes you, because I'm a child of rock and roll as well. Anyway, you know what? I'm just going to shut up because I probably are. If, if you haven't, uh, you know, turned off this podcast by now, just me talking bullshit over this. But remember, the purpose of uh, Significant Animal is that you can go out there and get a listen to yourself. But uh, go ahead and get do that. Pick it up and treat yourself this Saturday or whenever to the very best of deal. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and close this out. I'm going to close it out like we like it here in this show. We like it live. So we're just going to go ahead and play. Uh, this last song off of this album It's Dio and The Man on the Silver Mountain That'll give you a little taste Of those uh, awesome riffs that came out of uh, Ronnie James Dio and his band Anyway, real quick before I actually sign off uh, From this segment Today, uh, there's a live stream, a Dio Benefit online. Uh, you could catch it today, I'm sure. If not, uh, Saturday the 10th of July. You could also probably catch it in the future. They usually uh, repeat these things. It's a Benefit virtual show. Let me punch that up really quick. And we will see where we are going here. It is a Ronnie James Dio uh, live stream concert uh, to benefit the Dio Cancer Fund. So let me bring this down a little bit more. I guess this is important enough to go ahead and read through. There's going to be heavy hitters. Like I said, Rob Halford is going to be there. Tony Iommi is going to be on it. A Vinny apiece. Carmine apiece. Uh, Tenacious D, that's pretty cool. Lita Ford. Uh, Lena Hall. Joey Belladonna of Anthrax. Sammy Hagar. Alice Cooper. Jasmine Starr. Dio Disciples, obviously. Uh, Lilac, that young young group, very very awesome that they're on there. Gilby Clark of Guns N' Roses and many 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 more, and uh, yeah. So, Ronnie James Dio, man, jeez, rest in peaceful metallic riffs, man. Significant album.
you know, I, I really need Adam doing these significant. Adam, listen to me, buddy. You're the guy who controls me of speaking all this bullshit of during significant album, probably pissing off a handful of our listeners. What do we have here? Shit. Born on this day, rock and roll birthdays. Ringo Starr, July the 7th, 1940. Turned 81 this week. Ringo Starr, drummer of the Beatles. You all know who he is. Very groovy cat. Had a few uh, hits as well uh, on top of uh, his career as a Beatle. Uh, this year is a uh, little help with our friends. as a cover, and it was on uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band. So, yeah. Also, uh, Year 16 was a number one hit, I believe. And Year 16 is was number one, actually, uh, on Adam's birthday. See, Adam, I bring you back to the show. So come on back, buddy. Help me out here. You're also a Beatles connoisseur. Also celebrating a birthday last Sunday was uh, this guy right here, July the 4th, 1963. He's 58. And that would be Michael Sweet of the Christian rock group Striper. And this is To Hell with the Devil. What a, what a crazy hit this was. Michael Sweet, co-founder, writer, lead guitarist, lead singer, and uh, the man behind Striper. Uh, he was also a singer and a guitarist for Boston uh, from 2007 to 2011. So happy birthday, Michael Sweet from Striper. Wow, also born on this day. What's up? Various other guys here. Let me see. Yes, also born on this day was uh, Mr. Bon Scott, born July the 9th of 1946, former ACDC singer, passed away of acute alcohol poisoning. Basically, he drank himself to death. Huey Lewis, born in 1950, July the 5th, 1950, he's 71 years old today. Huey Lewis is like that guy that lives down the street from you and drives that pickup and you just wave at him as he goes by. He has that kind of look. Also, 50 cents. He is uh, 46 today. Born July the 6th of 1975. You know who 50 cents is. He's, we've mentioned him here many times on the Time and Adam Hartonane podcast. He uh, is in that one video where he's in the clubs, you know, doing all that, you know, drinking. It's your birthday, shorty. Mm -hmm. That's him right there. Also, Toby Keith. The man from neighboring Oklahoma, great country star. I, I love his uh, music. He's going to be coming to Wichita here pretty soon. Uh, he was born July the 8th of 1960. Wow, he's 61 years old. Hmm. Okay. Jack White of the White Stripes, Seventh Army Nation, mentions our city in his song. He is uh, 46 today. He was born July the 9th. Of 1975. And last but not least. Is Mrs. Courtney Love. She was born July the 9th. 1964. Ooh, wow. She's 57. Ooh. 
Anyway, hopefully uh, we can get that image out of our minds as we transition into this part. It's the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast, birthday number three. Yeah, we needed <laughs> the uh, birthday number three to get that last birthday uh, erased completely out of our mind. But okay, birthday number three. Uh, let me see what I have here really quick. And uh, who's got a who has a birthday number three? This oh, there's the there. <laughs> it just turns on automatically now. Damn it! All right, Agent X three again. Wow, where's Cosiro? Let me see. Oh my lord. Wow. It is Shemaine Shea. Wow, and that is S H A M A Y N E underscore S H A Y. Excellent. Miss Shemaine Shay. Let me see. She has only 92 posts, which is pretty good. That means she's not putting too much out there, <laughs> literally. And uh, she has, wow, half a million followers. 505,000. Woof. Man. She goes as Shay G. She is an entrepreneur. And that is always good. So let's take a look at her. <laughs> Agent X3, you naughty, naughty boy. <laughs> wow. Shay G, you are definitely... City, baby. What did you just say, Dad? Big city, baby. I thought you did. <laughs> Let's go to this one that has uh, has Agent X3's uh, tag on it, shall we? Oh, it's a video, too. It's not just a photograph. Let's take a look at it real quick. Oh, wow. From now on, you're going to be known as Agents. what I'm seeing while Asian X3's music is playing. <laughs> it's just too funny. And it's picture number four. Actually, video. It's a video. It's not a picture. I said it was a video. It's a video. <laughs> and uh, Shemaine Shea says here, you like this view. Well, I'm, let me describe this view for you, okay? Now, first of all, it's not the standard looking over your shoulder and towards your back view. It is uh, kind of like a top view. Shemaine uh, Shea's head is to the south, in other words, down. And uh, she is on her knees. And I think, I'm not too sure, she may be praying. I, I, <laughs> I don't know why she asked you if you like the view, but I can just I can tell you this: Miss Shemaine Shea has uh, on that video alone has fifty four thousand seven hundred and ninety six likes, and evidently counting. <laughs> you gotta check it out. It's uh it's number four. 
uh, her pants are kind of like, uh, oh, okay, it's like a leopard print, but it's in pink. <laughs> this is too much. Agent X3, what a beast. Oh, my Lord. Oh, and then after that, there's a picture of it. So they had the video first, and then number five is a picture of her. Oh, yeah, yeah, she was definitely praying, without a doubt. <laughs> The the caption uh, the ca <laughs> the caption asks I got I I have to get myself under control. <laughs> hold up, hold up. Okay, let me breathe. Let me get some water. The caption that Shay uh, Shay Shay <laughs> G asks is this: Do you see a heart? Comment which picture you like the best one. Oh, there's a second picture here. Okay. <laughs> well, to answer your question first, yes, yes, without a doubt. Uh, Shay G, I do see a heart. The picture is just like in the video. <laughs> her head is to the bottom of the picture, and uh, her. Uh, <laughs> Her uh, backside is towards the top of the picture. Yes, it forms this gigantic heart. You know, there, it's almost like if I need to go ahead and refresh myself on uh, the uh, Rumpology episode we had in February. I mean, it's, I, I would actually have to need, uh, I, I need that knowledge on this, uh, on this, uh, on this, uh, uh, <laughs> without words, I really am. Uh, on this third birthday, here is. Let's take a look at the. Uh, let's take a look at the uh, second picture. Oh my lord! Awesome! <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It is awesome. You're absolutely right. I I'm just gonna go ahead and close uh, close these out. I have a production note here though. I need to get to this last one because every single one of these pictures is extremely distracting. It says go down towards the end uh, to number eighty. So there's another it's another video, by the way, it says here. So let's take a look at it. Let's just start from the bottom and start working ourselves up. That's five. That's eight. That's a oh, oh, I just found it. Oh, wow. It has 30,000. No, 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 no. This is just too much. It has 301,000 views. Oh, wow. And has 741 comments. I'm afraid to open it, but it is it is Instagram, so it should be pretty safe. So let's. Oh, wow. It's tremendously big and tremendously wet. Yeah! <laughs> oh wow, wow! You know it's summertime. Uh, <laughs> you need to cool down, and she is cooling down. Uh, probably the probably the hottest part she, she has. <laughs> you gotta check it out. And the caption says, "Anybody need some water?" Wow, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can see that. Oh Lord Almighty! You know, let's just forget the videos for right now. Let's concentrate on Miss Shay G here. She is. It says here. Uh, let's go back to the top. Uh, she is uh, an influencer as well. Yeah, so she's hawking some brand on there. You can read that for yourself. She's also on Twitter, and uh, she is Shay. Oh, forget that. She has a Gmail that you can contact her. Oh, it says here. No, it says no. It says uh, page deleted at 
1.3 million. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she had a previous uh, page that was deleted and she was going uh, by 1.3 million viewers. So, oh, my God, I could see why. Oh, oh, this is just this is wow. This you have to you have to check out Miss G. I could describe a few pictures here. Uh, the, the very first one on her collection is she was at the grocery store. And she was picking up, uh, <laughs> she was picking up some groceries. And then, she, and her caption, she goes, "You gone help me with the? Oh, okay, okay. Are you gonna? You gonna help me with these groceries? You know, she's she's uh, you know, typing a street lingo there. So yes, of course, I'm sure they would have a lot of people uh, helping you out. The third picture, uh, it's for whatever reasons. I don't think that uh." She started trying to put her pants on, and she just started probably jumping around to try to get them all the way up and ended up outside the house. And by, by the way, she still couldn't pull them all the way up. <laughs> Listen, that, that sound you just heard was, was her cheeks uh, hitting each other as she's jumping up and down. <laughs> you likes. Of course you wouldn't, Key. You, you naughty man. You, you, you're just as naughty as Asian X3. Listen, check her out. Uh, check out Miss uh, whatever her name was again, Shamay Shay Shay G or whatever I called her. Listen, I just totally forgot. You gotta look at. You gotta check it out and know why she made this week's third birthday. <laughs> oh wow. Oh, Agent X3, you've gotten way better. Way, way better. You're up there in the excellent marks here. I'm afraid, uh, I'm afraid to see what uh what Gosilo is gonna come and uh counter with. Because competition is good. So we'll we will see, hopefully in the near future. All right. It's time for Hashtag What the Frijoles. <laughs> wow, that was an incredible Instagram. That's probably one of the best ones we've had here on the podcast. Let me try to forget it, though, as we move on to Hashtag What the Frijoles. It is from health.com, and it is titled Nine Weird Facts About Testicles. All right, the testes. Every woman needs to know. No, ladies, his balls don't actually turn blue. <laughs> I don't think I'm really going to get through this podcast today. I'm, let me just blow through this one as fast as I can. Uh, be honest, have you ever wondered what it really feels like to get kicked in the balls? Oh, this is a great story. I'm liking health.com already. Some dudes compare it to the pain of giving birth. Uh, no. I wouldn't know what that feels like, so I couldn't compare it to that. But uh, I have been kicked in the Las Mis Bolas, and it's uh, very painful, I would say. Anyway, it says here, while others say it's more like getting punched in the stomach by a professional boxer. Haven't been punched in the stomach by a professional boxer either, but I've seen it on TV. doesn't look fun at all. We'll never know for sure, but that doesn't mean we're not curious about other testicle mysteries. So, and that would be... I would imagine who they're speaking to here are uh, individuals that don't have testicles. 
<laughs> I mean, that's the that's the only way they would be. Uh, why would they have to write this? Because I mean, I would imagine if you are a uh, owner of a pair, you would know exactly all about them. I mean, I think as as a child, you uh, start uh, pulling on them and doing whatever you need to do to accommodate them within. Uh, your uh, your garment. So anyway, to get the answers, we spoke to a doctor who specializes in male sexuality. These nine family jewel facts will blow your mind or make you glad you don't have a pair of dangling meat bolas between your legs. So let's just go right into it. Number nine is testicles are sperm factories. I think we all know that. That's no mystery there at all. Uh, let me see. It says here, uh, the testes produce about 15,000 sperm every second. Wow. Uh, a physician in residence at a men's health company told Health that about 90,000 sperm every minute, 5.4 million every hour, and 130 million every day are produced in there. Wow, that's that's really nuts. Every guy is different, and the sperm count varies uh, from uh, person to person. Okay. We will move on to number eight. By the way, if I lose count, you could go ahead and count for yourself here. Number eight, they're five degrees colder than the rest of your body. I did not know that. That's something I didn't know. Wow. If you think about it, the female has gonads as well, the ovaries. But why are they so well protected inside of the body when the male gonads are outside of the body and so vulnerable? The answer, testicular temperature is about 5 degrees lower than the rest of the body in order to properly preserve the sperm. Oh, wow. The scrotum, <laughs> the wrinkly pouch of skin that holds the testicles. I would imagine that description is for uh, those that has never seen uh, the nutsack is about uh, 93.4 degrees Fahrenheit, while the body temperature is typically 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. So think about this. Think about this for a minute. You're going to get your temperature taken at the doctor's. Just go ahead and ask them, hey, can you check the temperature of my nutsack? Because I'm, you know, I mean, for medical reasons, because maybe you want to try to make a baby, with your significant other, and, uh, you know, that's important for you to know. Is it, a hey, doc, I just need to know, is it a 93.8 or whatever it was? Okay, 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 let's move on here. One testicle hangs lower for a reason. Okay, the, uh, the testicle on the left usually hangs a little lower than the one on the right, and it's no accident. This allows the temperature of one testes to change without that energy being sent to the other testy as it would if they were adjusted or touching. Uh, that's kind of weird, but, you know, these are weird facts. Number seven, they hurt like hell when they get hit. Absolutely, yes. It says here, let's look at the facts. The testicles are crucial to reproduction, but unlike the ovaries, they're super vulnerable because they hang outside of the body. Yeah, they're just like dangling there for you know, hanging on for dear life. So uh, how does nature protect them? The doctor explains that the testicles evolved 
to have a ton of nerves that are crazy sensitive to pain because this makes the guys way more likely to protect them in case of danger. You know what? That makes a ton of sense. And the reason why that makes a ton of sense is because guys like doing crazy, stupid shit. So all those nerves are kind of like a fail safe to uh, those who lack common sense. So, yeah, I could see that. That's a, you know, that's a that's a really interesting fact. The muscles of the scrotum will also pull the testes closer to the body if they sense any kind of danger. So kind of uh, the testicles are like Spider-Man's spider sense. It's like something's coming around the corner. Maybe you're with your girlfriend. Your other girlfriend is around the corner, and all of a sudden you feel your balls pull up. <laughs> oh, it's my spider sense. It's tingling. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop you for a minute. Okay, okay, I'm back. <laughs> but you can imagine, you know. One of your girlfriends says, the one you're with at the moment says, oh, what's wrong? That's <laughs> like, oh, this is... oh, my balls are warning me. <laughs> Thank you, testicles. You saved me again. All right, enough of that. Uh, let's move on. The scrotum is sexually sensitive as your vulva. Uh, yep, I could see that one as well. We're not going to read all of that. And it says here, Tight-fitting underwear takes a toll. That I agree with. I'm going to be riding my motorcycle here in a little while, probably all day. And, man, I'm going to have to wear uh, loose underwear because just sitting there all day, it takes a toll. It says here, a study published just last year in Human Reproduction, that would be the journal, found that uh, men who primarily wore boxer shorts Average 25% higher sperm concentration and 17% higher total sperm count than men who wore other types of underwear. So, yeah, I could see that. So, like, if you have uh, the boxer type shorts that don't uh, go tight around your groin area and kind of like hammocks your junk. Yeah, so that kind of helps you out. Mm. Helps also the, the the body regulate the temperature of uh, the uh, the sperm and whatnot within the testes uh, because it helps the the I guess the boxer short leaves that space that's needed there. Oh, okay, you see science. We're just not gonna use any rinky dink information on this podcast. Come on now. The next one seems very important. Testicular cancer is often caught late. Signs of testicular cancer include achiness or pain in the guy's back, growing belly or scrotum, abdominal bloating, a heavy feeling in his scrotum, a change in size of one or both testicles or a lump in the testicle. So, yeah, the lump is like when the when the ladies do uh, their self test for breast cancer. Unfortunately, testicular tumors are often caught late because they can grow without compressing on any of the other organs or bones nearby. Wow. Making them relatively painless. You would think with all those nerves and shit in there, 
they, they would have some kind of a warning system. Luckily, testicular cancer is highly curable. That's good news for us, the dudes, I guess. But it's uh, uh, still very important for guys to do self-examinations. In other words, you know, you know, when a guy is like feeling his balls and whatnot, it's not necessarily he's some kind of sicko or it's itching or he needs to take a, a shower. It could be that he's just uh, feeling for testicular cancer. He's feeling for lumps. I guess we shouldn't be quick to judge. Next fact on this uh, list. You know, things that I didn't know here. I hope hopefully some of the males who listen to this podcast learn something as well. See, this was so great. This is what's so great about uh, the what the frijoles, because this is some uh, this is some important shit. Uh, even though I don't think the word shit has been on any of this uh, medical uh, crap that I've been reading here. Anyway, uh, one meaning a testicle, one testicle sometimes hides in the guy's body. Yep, I've heard about this. Something about they're born that way. The testicles up in the body, and then they have to be uh, have some kind of surgery to correct it. Uh, except that the surgery can bring the complication that it could later uh, bring some complications in life. So, you know, things such as, you know, sperm, low sperm count, uh, uh, cancer, things of that nature. And last but not least, balls don't actually turn blue, but they could double in size. Men use the term blue balls to describe the painful aching they feel in their testicles when they have become aroused but they don't get any released. Sure, it's unpleasant. Well, yes, it is. But we're not talking about severe pain here, and that is very true. It's not severe pain. All it is is some mild discomfort. So for all the uh, the drama kings out there, or as they're known in uh, the island of Puerto Rico, tipos panties, it's a matter of uh, getting that resolved. And uh, if you're not that well adept, to uh, resolving this issue with the help of a uh, lady friend, then you may have to go the shameful way, <laughs> resolve it yourself. Anyway, there is a medical term for blue balls. It is epidemal hypertension. It's uh, abbreviated EH, and it happens when the blood vessels to the penis and testicles expands to make room for increased blood flow, which is basically, uh, which helps the erection, whatnot, et cetera, et cetera. The erection happens, no orgasm occurs, the erection uh, subsides as the blood flows goes down, and uh, that's where the discomfort comes in. And this is what this whole EH thing is. That's way too much science. You know, uh, in other words, uh, let's say uh, a man gets aroused or sees something that he likes and, mm, you know, the uh, shika boing boing music starts playing in the head. And all his senses come alive. And, uh, you know, the time has come to lay your loving down. And you want to be, you know, sensible. You want to be romantical. You also want to seem smart. So you want to lay down all this knowledge that you just acquired right here on the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast. And especially if that candidate for that loving happens to be, you know, a lady in the league such as Shay G, the one we just uh, spoke about on the third birthday, you want to have all your ducks lined in a row because you don't want to be the guy who was left with this EH problem. You know, the guy who was left with carrying the sack.
that was today's hashtag, What the Frijoles. You know, this is also some good information for the ladies since this article was written for the ladies. So, you know, the guy goes through all this trouble. Come on, help him out with his EH. It's the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Sound of the Week. Uh, this week on Sound of the Week, uh, let me look at my production notes really quick. Yes, yes. Uh, there was some news uh, just came out. I want to say it was July the 9th where the Taliban claimed it controls 85% of uh, Afghanistan's uh, territory. Now, I don't know which news agency it was, but they just let... Uh, I guess he's the Pope of the Taliban. <laughs> I don't really know what this guy is. But they just went ahead and let him have his press conference in Farsi. And I'm, I'm going to play it off of, of YouTube here. So check it out. So the guy walks in. And he's talking away. I, I have no idea what this guy is saying. There's people asking questions. He's answering back. Okay, I don't speak Afghan or... Where, where? Oh, here, here comes the translation. We have commitment that we will not allow anyone, any individual, any entity to use the soil of Afghanistan uh, against the neighboring no. <laughs> country, the regional country, and uh, uh, the world country, including no, the United States. For some States reason, you know, allies. don't ask me why. I, I really didn't believe it. I, I didn't have anybody of, of my languages, either, you know, the ones that I speak, translating here so I could know what this guy is actually talking about. But fortunately, we had the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast special events recording team there reporting directly from right there from uh, the Taliban's Pope's uh, office in Kabul. How, how great is that? So kick back and uh, take a listen to what this guy was actually saying. The entire world can suck. Goat ass. Okay. That was expected. Just like we do. True. Very true. So fuck you and your ancestor. We only want your money and goat porn. Say what? George Washington. Dollar, dollar. Bill, y'all. We've been wu tanged. Do you think the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast will not record this for the sound of the week? I shit on the infidel Tommy and Adam podcast. That was harsh. That was harsh. 
I'm the supreme mama bicho <laughs> bitch. <laughs> okay, that made a ton of sense. That did make a ton of sense. <laughs> for, for that last piece that he declared himself the supreme mama bicho, let's go ahead and, and put that name, uh, put that word into uh, freaky computer uh, voice guy and see uh, what they come up with. Mama bicho cock sucker. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> There's a little bit more of the news conference here. Give me a second here. <laughs> and of course, man, I'll tell you what, the Taliban Pope, he better stay away from that heroin and that coffee. <laughs> It's the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name oh, Podcast. Man. Sound of the Week. Oh, and Sound of the Week is a creation of my friend, Mr. Adam Tate. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> That's all she wrote. Good times, bad times. I have to uh, leave here pretty soon. But I can't leave without doing some good times, bad times. Yeah, Wilda's bugging me. I have to uh, get going. And before she comes into Dr. Koa Studios 1 and rips out this mixer board along with uh, the microphones and everything else I have here set up recording this podcast, I think I better shut this down. So I'm not going to have a motherfuckeria, but I will come back with one. I haven't had one in the last few episodes, but I'm sure we'll come up with something. I did have something today, but I just don't have the time for it. So that's the bad times. The good times is White Snake announced they are doing a farewell tour. <laughs> First two dates announced. I'm just joking. Let them rock away, right? White Snake, do your thing. Have as many guitar solos as you want per song. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Good times, bad times. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Adam. I salute you wherever you are, my friend, the true star. Of this hour podcast, things aren't the same without you here, my friend, especially that that sound of the week. That's a tough segment to produce. I want to apologize real quick. We've had I've had some problems uh, this uh, episode with the mixer board or the computer program. Something is making the uh, volume levels go up and down. So I apologize if it comes out shittier than it usually does. So now I'm just going to take it home. As always, we want to thank our legion of listeners, our fans, and whoever else subjects themselves to this podcast. We really appreciate it. Keep in mind, life is not that serious. Again, search with the keywords, the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast app, RSS Podcast, CastBox, and everywhere else. This podcast is on demand and streaming. Activate the notification icon to be notified when we are online and tell a friend or an enemy. In for my rock bro and the humblest guy that I know on the planet, Mr. Adam Tate, I am Tommy Martinez. Today is July the 10th, 2021, and you were listening to the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast. Remember to always play it often. 
Lay it loud, but play it. The Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast is produced by Dada Cola Promotions. Yeah, which are the Kansas. Dada Cola Promotion. Mama, be show.